I am a sea of love. 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 You are a sea of love. You are a sea of love. We are a sea of love. We are a sea of love. Hello and welcome to the Womb Centered Healing Podcast. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to share a few announcements for this um, late summer, fall of 2021. First of all, and um, I, you may have been hearing me introduce myself as Sama Morningstar for quite some time, and I have recently made the decision to go back to using my birth name of Jessica and my married name of Huckabay. So you'll hear me introducing myself as Jessica from here on out. Uh, if anyone, if you're curious about the the reasons why I'm making that transition, you're welcome to reach out to me and I'd be happy to talk with you more about it. The other announcement that I want to make is that this episode that you're, well, I'm creating a series of episodes uh, for this fall, uh, all about ancestral healing. Uh, And this, all of this is leading up to and sort of whetting our appetite for the month long ancestral healing program that I will be hosting starting October 31st. And this program is part of the Biomystical Womb Apprenticeship Program, but you can join just for the month long ancestral healing portion. And in this program, I will be holding space for you to discover your connections with your ancestors and find healing connections. So a lot of people are concerned about connection, connecting with their ancestors, especially the more wounded um, or difficult ancestry. And so it stops them from exploring ancestral healing. And in this program, we will explore ways to be able to access the wisdom and the healing um, parts of our ancestry to and and to help us liberate ourselves from the wounding patterns of the unhealthy and difficult aspects of our ancestry. So if this is of interest to you, go to wombcenteredhealing.com and look for the ancestral healing course. And um, all of these podcast episodes uh, for the next month or so, we'll be we'll be discussing various aspects of ancestral healing with the, with the guests on the show. So, looking forward to sharing that all with you. And um, I hope you enjoyed the episode.
Hello and welcome to the Womb Centered Healing Podcast. I'm Jessica Huckabay and I have Andrew Ecker with me here today. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew, for the Ancestral Healing Podcast series. I'd love for you to introduce yourself a little bit more and share about your journey with ancestral healing. Oh, thank you. Um, it's a real honor and privilege to be here to talk about a subject that's very dear to my heart. Uh, so I'm going to introduce myself here in the traditional language of my ancestors and then also the contemporary. Uh, so Dogate She Ende, Andrew Ecker Yenishe, Adona E Nishinigi E Ende Nishe, Irish Bashachin, Ende Dashache, German Dashanali, Akote Go E E Tishli E Portland, Oregon Inisha, Shema E Kathy Lindsay Woye, Shaza E Del Ekerwole. Uh, so I am Andrew Ecker, my mother, Kathy Lindsay, my father, Dale Ecker, uh, my mother's mother, Elva Gallegos, Apache woman from New Mexico, my father's mother, Evelyn Beatty, Irish woman from Pennsylvania, my mother's father, Leroy Lindsay, Apache man from Arkansas, and my father's father, Wayne Ecker, uh, German from Pennsylvania. I have a daughter, Bailey, a son, Peyton, a fiance, Monica. I was incarnated into this body in the land of the Multnomah in Portland, Oregon. Although I reside here in the land of the Akma, Atam, the Pipash, and the Maricopa here in Phoenix, Arizona. So I'm grateful to be here with everyone to talk about this uh, very powerful uh, issue and also journey that I feel um, <clears throat> is definitely at uh, the forefront of our consciousness in this day and age, a day in which people are paying hundreds of dollars to have their DNA done um wondering about the idea and the concept of colonialism wondering about how we become in relationship again with the earth all of these things i feel are about this process of ancestral healing beautiful and and from our conversation before and just from my own experience with this this way that you introduced yourself seems quite central to this process of ancestral healing of acknowledging you know the process of acknowledging our parentage our ancestors every time we introduce ourselves acknowledging the land where we're from the ancestry of the land where we're at and where we were born this all feels like very potent yet simple um a simple basic way that is based on you know that that many cultures have had the tradition of introducing ourselves in that way that has that has been lost or um, disrupted in many cultures as well to the detriment to, to much detriment and so i'd love for you to share a little bit more about that practice um and how how that has developed for you well i'd like to offer it to you okay uh, so would you like to introduce yourself now there's nine principles of introduction here that i shared so First is your name, then your mom, because we're going to go into a matriarchal system. So okay. kind of unwinding, you know, the patriarchy here as well. Okay. So we're going to go into you, your mom first, then your father, then your mom's mom, then your mother's father, going into that matriarchy, bringing forward the feminine first in our lives. Mm -hmm. And then your father's or your mother's father, I'm sorry, and then your father's father. Then you're going to state you can state where you were born, you can state where you live and extra credit if you know the uh, indigenous people of the land. 
Okay, so I'll start. My name is Jessica Huckabay. Um, my mother's name is Teresa, Teresa Ingram now. Uh, she's had many names um, <laughs> in her life. Uh, her mother is- you, Yeah, you could go that way if you'd like. You, generally, okay. we introduce the father next. Okay, so her, my father, yeah, it, uh, I have two. I have an adopted father, uh, Michael Todd, and I have a biological father, Guy Hardy. Nice. Okay. And um, now so your mother's I, mother. Now my mother's mother is Rita Brown, and my mother's father now. Uh, father's mother. Oh, my father's mother. Yeah. Is Helen Hurtado. Nice. Okay. And, and now your mother... adopted father. I don't know the name of my biological father's mother, but we can actually, after our last conversation, um, I imagined what I asked her what, who, she, what she would like to be called. And um, I think what she told me was this, the, the weeping willow. Mm, grandma weeping willow. willow. Yes. Beautiful. I love it. Yes. All right. It feels good. And then, okay, so who else did I miss? Anything? Mother's mother's father. My mother's father is Jack Brown. Beautiful. Where uh, and do you have any do you have the do you know the connection they have to their lands or their lineage? Yes, um, my my um, mother's mother is uh, of Italian heritage. Uh, but born in um, California, Sacramento, California. And my um, mother's father is of mixed European heritage going back quite far. Um, I've traced it back to colonial times. Mm, okay. And, um, and then mi mixed European. Um, and then my Father's mother is of Mexican heritage, uh, born in, um, well, I'm not sure where she was born, but she lived in Fresno, California. But my, that's my adopted father. And he was born actually in Tucson, Arizona. Ah, okay. That I do know. Nice. And my uh, biological father is of uh, German and Native American heritage bull the Choctaw heritage but that goes back a few generations um for sure and yeah. uh yes and he lives if he's still alive I'm not sure if he's still alive um in Indiana um Bloomington Indiana was his last known residence um so and your final introduction would be your father's father my father's father okay my um my biologic my adopted father's father goodness i don't know his name but he was is still i he's probably not still alive but he was uh, mexican heritage and um was in sonora mexico i'll have to it's not coming to me right now the name that he would like to be called I'll have to follow up on that. <laughs> and then um, my biological father's father as well. Um, uh, the name that I 
got from him when I inquired was the strong tree. Mm. Grandfather, beautiful strong tree, and beautiful. Uh, I think him and his wife lived in California, uh, in the Chico area. Ah, nice. Okay. So then, um, what the other thing is where I live or where I was born and where I, yes, live. where you were born and where you live. Okay. So I was born in Newport beach, California, and I don't know the, uh, indigenous nation there. Um, I, currently live in um, Clear Lake, California, and it's the lands of the Pomo tribe. Mm, beautiful. And then uh, my husband is Jeffrey Huckabee. Ah, awesome. So little, little touch that I could share with you. Um, oftentimes when I introduce the feminine side of my family, I introduce their maiden names. Okay. Um, because I feel like, first of all, they were a person before they became a wife. Yes. And uh, that feels right to me, mm. being that I have the same sort of situation with name changes. Mm. Um, so uh, it feels like that's what they were incarnated in that name. So that's like, uh, I feel like the essence of them in a certain sense. And then generally I use... Um, I don't necessarily use a was in front of anybody um, or an is, I just say their name. So I say my mother, Kathy Lindsay, my father, Dale Ecker, oh, and uh, my grandmother, my mother's mother, Elva Gallegos. I don't necessarily put them into a time because the, the past tense, present tense, um, it, it tends to create a limitation in that relationship. Mm -hmm which the practice for me of the ceremonial introduction is uh, about connection. Um, and I think that that's what, you know, uh, many earth-based kind of uh, knowledge systems really um, looked at in this. So when you're introducing yourself in a uh, setting, you know, even as I introduced myself, there may have been some people that said, Oh, well, my family's from Pennsylvania. My family's from uh, Oregon. My family's from uh, New Mexico. You know, all of these, these ideas. Um, and they may have resonated with a family member's name that, um, that came forward. You know, we, we have these connections that sometimes are overlooked in what the contemporary culture kind of mandates as far as introduction. You know, generally, if we're at a meeting or a uh, party or something like that, um, you know, hi, my name is Andrew and I'm a drum circle facilitator or hi, I'm an author or I'm a speaker or, you know, all of these things that come up. And this is really a behavioral based model of self-identity. And it doesn't really give us an, an allowance of connection to our ancestry. It doesn't really create those deeper bonds of intimacy and the more that we work on these these ideas of self-identity and the more that we practice this in a community setting we are unraveling these uh kind of systemic ideas of individual um what i would say is energetic architecture of self-identity uh, and it relates directly to our ancestral healing because the the culture um, 
knows in a certain sense, and I don't know if this is some diabolical idea that this was planned out, um, but you know, certain religious systems have this idea of severing ties uh, to family, severing ties to ancestry, that there's this new way of looking at self. And this creates some, what I would say is a, a system of abandonment. Mm. And when a person is abandoned from the nature of the foundation of their ancestry, the natural sort of causality is dysfunctional behavior. Mm. Uh, it's, it is very apparent in the system that is put upon us today that this is a destructive system. And it's, uh, you know, we point fingers at the family oftentimes, uh, yet the families don't have the tools to even begin to create a foundation for the future generations. Um, the system that I shared with you as far as ancestral introduction and earth-based introduction, this has been a part of, of communities since the dawn of cultural identity. You know, this has been a way that people have introduced themselves. And thankfully, there are still many communities around the earth that still use this practice. You know, I was like many of the listeners, I would imagine, lived in a world where that was never a part of me. I never heard anybody introduce themselves like that until I was around my Native American relatives. Now, I grew up knowing I was Indian. I knew I grew I was Apache. I, my grandfather told me that, um, you know, basically from behind a bottle of whiskey. Uh, I came home from school one day. He was, you know, it was three o'clock in the afternoon. He was, he had already been drinking. He was a Vietnam veteran and, uh, you know, really struggled a lot with PTSD. Uh, he was in Korea at 16 years old, yeah. the Korean conflict. He, you know, they basically falsified the family Bible so that he could go in before, before he was 17. So if you could imagine a 16 year old boy going into one of the worst wars in the history of the United States. And then, you know, being have having to, to deal with that, he medicated himself and uh, really, you know, struggled, but did his best and he did his best to hand the knowledge that he had onto me. And one of those things was that I was a renegade Apache, you know, I came home from school and he, uh, he told me that and I didn't know what that meant. All I knew is that there were uh, images on television and also images in my home. Uh, my mother also struggled with addiction. And this is all a part of the generational trauma that follows many of us that um, I guess haven't really unraveled uh, a lot of the consequences of colonialism, a lot of the consequences of the mission system, um, you know, the 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 hundreds of years of warfare that went on with the indigenous people that are here, the murders, the rapes, the, uh, you know, the destruction of our culture, identity, all these things, you know, they're all a part of that kind of uh, passing of the baton of the destructive system uh, that leads to a person that has no foundation of self-identity. So when I was, uh, so I, I probably need to rewind a little bit. I, I'm a professional musician and I also facilitate drum circles. And the drum circle for me was one of these kind of contemporary vehicles of ancestral wisdom. Now I say that because a drum circle is not a traditional 
kind of thing. You know, it's not a 10,000 year old drumming practice, but it is a significant practice in the way that the drum has been used in many traditions. So this emergent culture of people that are wanting to get connected with the earth, wanting to understand these uh, kind of foundational practices of, of what I would say are more functional communities, communities that live in harmony with one another, harmony with the planet, have uh, traditions that are set up. From the outside, looking at, at that as a person like myself that was dealing with generational trauma, generational drug addiction, alcoholism, uh, incarceration even, which is another topic I'll get to. Uh, when I seen the drum circle, it was like, what is this? You know, why is this, uh, why is this something that makes me feel something, you know? Uh, and I felt something like rebellion. I felt something like um, wisdom. I felt safe. I felt held by the music. And this was, uh, you know, way back in 1994, <laughs> I like to say, you know, and uh, on top of Mount Tabor in Southeast Portland, Oregon, it wasn't, you know, on the reservation or, you know, in some, uh, you know, jungle drinking ayahuasca or something like that. This was, you know, just people with long hair and wearing, you know, hemp necklaces and tie dye t-shirts and, um dreadlocks uh that were playing music and it was like people from all over the world there were people that were playing african drums and a, a man from puerto rico that was playing congas and people dancing and it was under the full moon and it just felt right to me and that sparked something in me i was 18 years old i just graduated high school was involved in um the drug trade my parents being that they both died of drug related causes it was very easy for me to get involved in in selling marijuana. Not I wasn't like some big time drug dealer, uh, but I was you know selling marijuana on the streets. And when I went to this drum circle, I went there with the intention of finding the community that had LSD and mushrooms because I wanted to trade some high grade marijuana that I got from Arizona to these people for LSD. And I basically had a shaved head. I wore you know, straight leg Levi's, Doc Martens, and, you know, like white t-shirts. I mean, I was out of a vadio in, in, in Phoenix called Suntown. And I knew nothing about this alternative kind of culture of long hair people. Like they were like something completely alien to me. Uh, but it felt right. You know, it felt like, wow, this is really, this is medicine. And subsequently, you know, uh, for 20 plus years now, I've been involved in the drum circle community and uh, have a very successful drum circle facilitation business. Uh, we've, you know, in 2019, prior to the pandemic, we facilitated 587 wellness-based programs. And this is, you know, an evidence-based practice that we've developed over those 20 years that is utilized by major corporations and hospitals like Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And, um, you know, we've done work for Charles Schwab and, uh, all kinds of major organizations, Bain Consulting, $4.3 billion consulting firm out of uh, New York City. So, I mean, I, the list goes on and on, plus all the music festivals, too. Uh, it's really an extensive amount of work. But the reason I mention that is because the drum led me to the Navajo Nation. And when I was invited to go to a healers conference, uh, and this was 
um, all, you know, decade ago now, uh, I went there and a man named Fillmore Bluehouse. He was a, I, you know, or he is a medicine man. Um, and he invited this group of people that were there for this healing conference. And this is a contemporary healing conference that was basically introducing some of the traditional um, healers on the Navajo Nation that work at a specific hospital where this woman, uh, Michelle Morgan, was a nurse. She kind of designed this whole thing. So it was an integration. And I had already been working in hospitals doing drum circles, contemporary drum circles. They invited me there to do one. And this man, Fillmore, you know, before that we did the drum circle, he said, hey, I'm having a gathering at my Hogan and I really would like some people to come. Would you like to come? And I said, sure. So <clears throat> I remember I got there really early because this is kind of what I was there for. I was seeking this kind of, you know, elders wisdom. And I, I got to the Hogan and it was, you know, cold. Uh, they started a fire. There was a young man, maybe like his apprentice, and he was sweeping the floor. And it was a dirt floor. And I remember the kind of smell of the dirt mixed with the smoke from the fire in the middle of the Hogan and it being something that really calmed me. It was almost like an aroma, like an incense or something like that. And I remember sitting down and just feeling so comfortable um and really like i have arrived in a certain sense uh there was a lot of feelings that went through me being a person of native american and um european descent coming onto the reservation there was all kinds of emotions that came forward for me um things that i was in process with and i sat there and i remember you know groups of people kind of coming in and by the time you know it was ready to begin the whole hogan was packed with people and there were elders that were there for the, from the community. And uh, when he began kind of his teachings, he said, is there anyone that would like to introduce themselves? And there were a few elders that spoke up and they introduced themselves just like I introduced myself to you uh, in the traditional language. And it was uh, really something that sparked a question for me. I was like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a child? What does it mean to be a grandchild? What does it mean to be from the earth? And that question led me to really diving into this idea of my own ancestral connection. Now, to say that from that moment to where I'm at with my um, introduction uh, was a journey is really an understatement because introducing my mom and introducing my dad Every time I do that, I'm remembering the humility that comes from being the child of two parents that suffered from drug addiction, that died in their addiction, that used me to steal, um, that left me at drug houses where I was sexually abused, physically abused. You know, by the time I was in, um, you know, the, the fifth grade, I had already been involved in multiple drug raids. And I'm a child of the Clinton Reagan era, um, which was not the, you know, let's legalize marijuana, let's decriminalize, um, you know, substances. This was the war on drugs. And communities were scared of people like my parents. They were completely fearful. And, uh, you know, subsequently, when the police came in and raided our house, it was violent. Guns were drawn on me and my sister. 
Uh, I have a relationship to depression. I have a relationship to suicidal ideation. I have a relationship to uh, post-traumatic stress. You know, all of these things are a part of my makeup. Uh, and, you know, thankfully, using that ancestral introduction has given me an opportunity to really evaluate why. You know, why was it that I was raised in this environment? And I've come to a place of realizing, um, like I feel, I feel many people that have been called to a path of purpose and service and uh, relational spirituality, that there was maybe some point in my spirit's development where I said to the creator, hey, I, creator, I want to bring people together with the drum and I want to teach people about self-identity. And the creator said, well, you know, I think a perfect assignment for you would be the child of, of two drug addicts. That's what we're going to make you. <laughs> You know, I think Wayne Dyer said, I want to I want to empower people. And he said the creator said to him, uh, well, we're going to make you uh, an orphan, you know. <laughs> so I really resonate with that. I resonate with this idea. And I do believe that there is a a level of once you unravel the victim inside of you, uh, you come to this place of empowerment. And I feel like embracing the victim is an important catalyst for this, uh, embracing the victim of generational and ancestral trauma and ancestral healing, all of these, these parts of us. Because on the other side of really feeling the pain of the victim is this clarity that comes into our lives where we begin to understand that that's medicine. What I went through as a kid, you know, being able to share in front of a group of people in a drum circle that I was sexually abused or on a podcast or, you know, in in front of a crowd of people uh, at a mental health conference or any of those things that, you know, that my mom used me to steal as a kid that, you know, I, I would end up using heroin with my father, that I was incarcerated on the same prison yard I visited my day, my my father at. Uh, all of these things have turned into the medicine of my life today. And inherently in that medicine, you know, the inheritance of the trauma uh, has been a really powerful understanding of ancestral healing. And I'm not talking about like, uh, you know, let's do a past life regression kind of stuff. I'm talking about real working through your relationship to your mom, your relationship to your dad you know, your relationship to your grandparents, to the land. You know, why was it that I was born in Portland, Oregon? One of the, you know, I mean, we were the only people, you know, that looked like us on our street. You know, everybody else looked like a hippie biker, you know, uh, where I grew up in Portland. It was like, uh, and that sort of catalyst from being these, you know, descendants of New Mexico Native Americans uh, where one uncle got a good job and then literally transplanted everybody. I lived on the same street as my great grandma, my great grandpa, my grandma, my grandpa, my aunt, my cousins, my aunts. We all lived like within two or three houses of each other. You know, very clannish family. Like we just stuck together. And uh, it was always, you know, kind of like us versus them in a certain sense. And that idea of sticking together has been a part of my my development as well. These things all come into focus when you kind of let yourself like look at the bigger picture. And I think that for me, ancestral healing is about that. 
you know, it's about that bigger picture of your life. Mm -hmm. Wow, Andrew, thank you so much. You're such a brilliant storyteller. I'm just <laughs> really drawn in to your story. And I really appreciate you sharing all of the wisdom and the medicine that is coming out of your experiences. And um, I'm curious about the, the drumming. And you talked about it being a um, evidence-based practice. And I know that in our previous conversation, a preparatory conversation, we talked a little bit about how, you know, one of the big, big topics in ancestral healing circles is, is cultural appropriation, right? That people who are very disconnected from their own ancestral heritage are very tempted to and feel drawn into traditions that are more connected with their ancestral heritage and end up you know being in a position especially from european heritage to repeat the harm of stealing other people's cultural heritage and um, we talked about that a little bit in in what you talked about with your drumming circle and that how, how is it that you know where where is you, are the traditions, the source traditions of the drumming um, that you're offering and taking to all of these communities that you described and how you navigate that. And you talked about it being a, an evidence-based tradition and that it's not necessarily um, that you went and found a particular therapeutic drumming tradition from, the, from your Native American heritage. And that's not necessarily what you're sharing, but instead that through your contemporary uh, musicianship and mus musical training and this recognition of drumming being a unit basically a universal cultural practice across the board that that through your experience of coming together in drumming circles and facilitating drumming circles that it's become clear that there are certain ways that it becomes therapeutic for people. Could you talk a little bit more about that? For sure, for sure. So it's a really that? interesting concept. So first of all, I think one of the ways that we can utilize, and also for all the listeners here, and I'm sure that this will be in the show notes, but I do offer my book for free. So I wrote a book on ceremonial introduction, which is The Sacred Seven. And get that book. There's a whole, it's a whole guide of a lot of the stories that I shared right now with you, but also some practices. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I want to share this with everyone is because at the beginning of my drum circles, I utilize the techniques that are in my Sacred Seven book. Mm -hmm. And the Sacred Seven is, again, a window into an ancient tribal earth-based technology. This is a wisdom that is a that was a part of European ancestry all over Europe. In fact, even in places like Wisconsin and Minnesota. And if you talk to people that have, have lineages back to the Nordic kind of people, Vikings and such, mm -hmm. um, Norwegians, they, if you're, because I work a lot in retirement communities. So I've had this conversation with them and it was very common in the United States to, to introduce yourself as I am the daughter of, I am the, the daughter, you know, the granddaughter of and uh, born to. I mean, this was something that was a part of even early 
American identity in certain religious groups and certain communities. Like if you were at a dinner, a function, you would introduce yourself in a way, and that tied directly back to communities in Europe. Now, where we got the disconnect in, in the European identity, and I can say when we got it, because I'm European too, uh, was during the landlord system. And this this became a part of colonial ideas that there were only certain groups of people, elite people that could have a name that was associated with the land. Mm -hmm. Now, if you lived under that premise for thousands of years, literally, uh, or at least, you know, several hundred years of really being mandated to serve the landlord when the Pope and when the, you know, the hierarchy of the uh, Anglican and the Church of England come out and they say, manifest destiny, you know, you can be your own landlord in this new world, go out and take the land, you're mandated by God to get a land ownership, you're living under this servitude to the kings of the land, which I have friends that have names that are associated with land regions in Europe. And then I have friends that are, have association to job titles. You get the knight, the carpenter, the, uh, I don't know if you've ever researched Huckabee, Huckabee. Oh yeah, like what... there was, it was something to do with work that was done on the ships in the bay. There so, you go. So Huckabee, yeah, so you know, Huckabee probably you know doing something, some physical labor with with products that were shipped in the bay. So this is another job related identity. Yeah. So these are people that come from servitude. They come from slave slavery, basically, in some way or another. This is where the first ledgers came, and one king would say, "Hey, I have." 25 Huckabees and I have 150 knights and I have 125 singers and all of these names were synonymous with jobs that they could borrow money against mm. in their land region to wage war. And that's where it came from primarily or, you know, to do infrastructure changes or whatever. Uh, but primarily it was warfare and one king would borrow money from another to go conquer more lands and then you have this identity that's associated with servitude and an identity that's associated with land-based identity. And when you have the formulation of manifest destiny, which is this idea that you could go out and be your own owner of land, people are like, what? How, how could I, uh, you know, a servant born into a servant's name ever own my own land? So when that concept came into the focus, of course, the people were going to go out and try to conquer and colonialize. And plus, it was a message of God. I mean, literally, that's what these people were saying. They were saying, God told us that you could own land. And, you know, that's where the hundreds of years of warfare that colonialism caused, um, I believe, kind of originated. And, um, and this is, do you know, my own history studies. I don't have any reference points to point that out, but I believe that the empowerment that many people faced was primarily back to a disconnect from the earth and their ancestral lineage. Mm. And this is really important to the conversation of the drum because when we unravel that and we begin to honor the indigenous people of the land, honor the indigenous traditions of the drum, and say to the group of people, this is what I say in the first 15 minutes, this is not a traditional experience with drumming. But what this is, is this is a connection 
through the drum to many traditions around the world. In Cuba, it's called rumba. In Puerto Rico, bomba. In Egypt, hafla. In Hawaii, luau. In Guinea, West Africa, dundumbwa. In Mexico, bamba. In Ireland, drama circal. In Italy, tarantara. In Belize, punta. In Israel, kumzits. And us, the Native American people, sometimes we call it powwow. And this idea that these cultures around the world, the great continents of the world, all have a tradition, you know, the land-based identity of the people has a tradition for drumming, that drumming and singing songs and connecting with one another through dance is something that's synonymous, not with one culture, but with all cultures, that we as a practice can begin to integrate a container that says, hey, if you are from African uh, descent, you can play your African drum here. And if you're a European person, you can play your European drum here. Heck, you can play these contemporary drums that are just made in America that, you know, don't really have an identity uh, that's traditional. The drums we play are Remo drums, you know, and these are made in Valencia, California. They're, they're not traditional drums, but what it does is it gives us a window into the idea of what many earth-based communities have said about the drum. And the drum is not the heartbeat of Native American people. The drum is not the heartbeat of European people. It's not the heartbeat of African, Polynesian, Asian. It's the heartbeat of the planet. And we as earthlings, when we get connected with that heartbeat, we feel something. Mm. And the majority of the time that people get connected with that heartbeat, they get connected with it in a traditional setting. You know, they get connected with it in maybe, you know, a Native American hand drum session or at a West African drum circle or a drum drum session or, you know, a Latin drum session, something like that. And they they feel like that's the only way that they can learn. And I've studied West African, I've studied Middle Eastern, I've studied Latin, I've studied Native American drumming. All of these forms of drumming are a part of my kind of lineage. And, you know, I have teachers in, in those drumming arenas. All of them are important to how I navigate my relationship with the drum. And I want the listeners to know that regardless of where they were born, uh, they can have a relationship with the drum and the drum can help them. It can heal them. It can, it can help them flourish in a very powerful way as an earthling and also get connected with their ancestral uh, knowledge. I know that if it wasn't for the drum, I know I wouldn't have been on Navajo listening in that Hogan hearing the elders talk about their their self-identity uh the drum led me to that and the drum the west african djembe which i studied under mama Deketa, i studied under you know dr sunket here in phoenix uh frank thompson you know all these great you know tr west african traditional players and the djembe brought me to wanting to learn more about my native american heritage this West African drum, uh, which is really remarkable. And recently I was able to gift a Native American hand drum to a man from Guinea in honor of that, you know, saying thank you for bringing this drum here to help me and, you know, my life and my family. Uh, and here's, you know, a drum from our lineage. And that was a very powerful ceremony 
that we had in in New Mexico not too long ago. But these ideas of saying, oh, because you're you were born in a colonial uh, occupied land that you as a person of European descent, the descendant of colonial people are not you can't have a relationship with the drum. For me, this is a part of the sickness, because if if we as indigenous people really believe that the drum is the heartbeat of the planet, how are we going to bring people back to the earth? If we are not able to connect to the vibration of the drum, I believe that we can bring people back to an earth-based knowledge system when we bring them back to the frequency of the heartbeat of the planet. You know, many people that have grown up in these colonially occupied lands are looking to Mars to colonize. <laughs> They're looking to the, uh, the moon to colonize. And it's like, hey, realize that we still have, there's still hope for our planet. There's still, uh, we can still heal this planet. Spontaneous healing, we know that people have been healed from cancer spontaneously through prayer, through ceremony. Why can't we look at the earth and say, she can be healed spontaneously. She can be restored spontaneously. And I believe that that in itself is the disconnect from relational spirituality. Many people in the contemporary culture are still living in the idea of manifest destiny. They're still looking at the mountain and seeing a resort. They're looking at the river and seeing, you know, a, a commodity. They're, they're not really understanding that these are our relatives. You know, you as an American person, learning the river of your ancestral heritage. I was born next to the Columbia, the Willamette River, the Clackamas River. I was born next to Mount Hood, Mount St. Helens. These are my mountains of my birth. You know, here in the Valley of, of the Sun, my land that I live in right now, all these mountains, I've hiked these mountains. I've introduced myself to these mountains. I've introduced myself to the rivers of this land. You know, these are my relatives. And you as a colonialized person, you can begin to deprogram that colonialism by understanding that the mountain is your relative. The ocean is your relative. And these lands have ancestral wisdom inherent in them. When you're at your PTA meeting, when you're at your 12-step meeting, when you're getting in front of a group of people at work, at the office, you say, I'd just like to pause here for a moment to acknowledge the earth. You know, let's all just feel the earth underneath us and know that these lands that we live on the mountains around us have had prayers written on them, showing people where the water is, where the food is. Every mountain in this country practically has petroglyphs on it. You know, there's some place on these mountains around where you live, where the Native American people wrote messages. They knew that you would be there. These were people that looked at the next seven generations, the next you know generations of people. They said, here's where the water is. Here's where the food is. You know, think about that for a moment. Acknowledge the people of your of your land of birth. Acknowledge the people of your residency. You know, if we really want to talk about how we can decolonize people, these are simple premises that we can do. There's literally an 800 number that you can text the land. 
you can text it to them. And I don't have my phone on right now, but I'll send you a, a an email message with the phone number in it. And this is an 800 number that you can text. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and it will say the land of the Akmal Atham. Mm -hmm. It will literally give you the ancestral land. So there's no reason for anybody to not know the ancestral land that they were born on in the ancestral land that they live on. It's a very simple thing that we as people need to take responsibility for. We're not going to, our children are not going to learn that. It's evident that schools are not teaching this. Mm -hmm. You know, this, there's a whole argument that's going on about um, race theory and all kinds of stuff right now, because the way that the educational system has been infiltrated has been to a European colonial ideology. I mean, the daughters of the uh, revolution or the daughters of the um, Civil War, you know, these were organizations of people that set up to create a narrative around slavery, around race, around all kinds of stuff. That still to this day permeates the zeitgeist of many people living in the United States. It's also infiltrated into other regions of, uh, you know, uh, Americas. And it's important that if we really want to say, hey, I don't want to be a cultural appropriator. I don't want to be a person that is living in the stereotypical mindset of, um, you know, the Americas. I want to make this a different generation. Then we can integrate very simply just honoring the land and the ancestral people and begins by yourself, you know, like really, I mean, my one elder, Ted Begay, you know, he's my uncle and he would say something like, you know, it's all about you, nephew. You know, how are you going to live your life? Are you going to live a good life? Are you going to live, you know, a, a life that, that has, you know, purpose and empowering the listeners here. Yes, it is hard sometimes to introduce your mom, to introduce your dad, to introduce your grandmas and your grandpas, the lands of their birth. You know, it does hurt. It stings. You know, I'm, you know, the evidence of that. You know, I, I was fortunate to know my parents and I was also unfortunate to know my parents. You know, there was uh, issues with that my entire life. So regardless of if you were adopted, if you don't know your parents, if you don't know where your grandparents were from, do your best. Exhaust every opportunity you have to try and find out that about yourself, you know, because it is important. In the back of your mind, there's questions that come forward. And when you do your best to answer those questions about yourself, you hopefully will begin to heal the wounds that a lot of these ideas and concepts of colonialism, fragmented identity, um, the destructive force of ancestral trauma, when you begin to do the work, you create a lineage. And someday I hope to be sitting in a campfire and my grandson or granddaughter look up from that fire with the flames of that fire radiating in their, their eyes and they introduce themselves as me. You know, that's what earth-based communities have known for, you know, like I said, since the dawn of cultural identity. To be in a, a, a place where you feel safe and you're by the fire or you're out in the elements and your little child looks up and introduces themselves. I've been fortunate to be in ceremonies where I've seen that happen, where I've seen daughters introduce themselves in the same room as their mothers mm. and introduce themselves as their mothers. 
what a gift. You know, this is timeless treasures that we as a people that are unraveling the years of trauma of colonialism can begin to experience and also begin to transform the next seven generations of a people that understand that, hey, there was people that were here before, that I am of the earth, that I don't necessarily need to look to Mars for the next colonial place to go, that I can start cleaning up my own house, you know, that I can start dreaming uh, awake and integrated world where hopefully, you know, we forget that we were ever dependent on fossil fuels, mm. that we could go to the downtown of any major city and look up and see gardens. Mm. You know, how beautiful it would be if we could turn our urban centers into fully automated organic gardens. And then the mono agricultural system could turn back to the wild. Mm. I mean, that's what I want to believe. You can look in many different places and you can see all kinds of stories that are being told about the destruction of humanity, about, you know, the destruction of our civilization, that we've lost hope, that the environment is is gone and all of these things. I don't believe any of that. I have a story and the story is a good news story. We're coming back to the earth. We're coming back to the understanding of the wisdom of this planet. And the more that we do, the more that we heal our ancestral trauma the more that we heal ourselves and the more that we live in that place of relationship, relational spirituality. You notice that the conversation, I said, I have a relationship to depression, anxiety. I have a relationship to PTSD. I don't suffer from PTSD. I have a relationship with that part of myself. This is, these are premises within relational spirituality that can be applied to any one of the listeners. They can use it. They can have that in their life. They can have sovereignty and freedom. Mm. Oh my goodness, Andrew! Thank you so much for the the blessing that are the blessings that are your words and your stories and your visions. And um, I just really feel the power of this drumming practice and and this reconnection to to the earth that that it brings for you and for all of our listeners. So um, I could just ask you question after question and hear more and more of your stories our time is winding down however so could you please share with the listeners where they might get in touch with you you have a website how can how can they connect with you great so we're um in two places primarily and that's drumming sounds which is our drum circle facilitation business and we have a training coming up in um i don't know if this is going to be aired before thanksgiving but uh thanksgiving weekend we're doing a training there's like three or four spots left uh in phoenix arizona but after that we do drum circle facilitation training um usually four times a year um so you can get connected with us facebook instagram online excuse me drumming sounds and then if you want a copy of the book it's uh thesacred7.com seven is spelled out and if you buy a signed copy of the book, I send one into the Arizona Department of Corrections. Um, I did three and a half years in prison for selling LSD and mushrooms and a small bag of marijuana. <laughs> uh, you know, it was a very challenging time in my life. I laugh because I think it's like, you know, talk about being a, a hardcore prisoner. I, you know, I was never really, I was involved in a lot of violence as a kid because the, place I grew up was violent, but I was never really, you know, a, a violent individual, but I ended up going to prison for, um, 
you know, basically the medicine that I, I believe helped me. Mm. If it was a cut several hundred years ago, I think a person like myself would have been, you know, doing ceremony with plant medicines. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But, you know, fortunately for me, I was given an opportunity to use these substances. And, uh, you know, I do believe that they helped me. I'm not an advocate. I'm not saying go out and go and do a psychedelic experience and you're going to bam, be healed. I was a guy mumbling to myself after some of these experiences for years. Uh, but thankfully, you know, I, I put my life back together and I live a really blessed life, mm. a life that I never thought would ever be possible. 20 years plus free from heroin addiction, uh, 20 years plus free from cocaine addiction. Mm. Um, and, and with the woman of my dreams, mm. uh, Monica, and we just travel around making music, having a beautiful time and uh, sharing with people like your audience, you know, thank you all so much for getting connected with me again. It's drumming sounds and sacred seven, the sacred seven.com get a free copy of the book or get a signed copy of the book. Signed copy gives me ability to send one into the Arizona department of corrections and you get a personalized message, but everybody can get a PDF copy for free and begin to implement these strategies of self-identity and ancestral healing into your life. Mm, thank you so much, Andrew. I highly encourage folks to go ahead and, and get a copy of that book one way or the other. I have, I've gotten one myself um, and really appreciate uh, what I'm learning there. And thank you so much for, for sharing with me, sort of coaching me through the introduction process. What a, what a blessing. Um, and oh, and I offer that too. You know, also if somebody wants coaching um, with ancestral uh, ceremonial introduction, I do have some coaching products that are available. There's an online class there too awesome. um, that you can get. I sometimes I forget all that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, well, we can go and explore your online spaces and find out more about all the things Very cool. that you offer. And um, yeah, I really appreciate it. And listeners also know that if you want to learn more about what's going on in the Womb Centered Healing Temple, which is the organization through which this podcast is, is coming towards you, um, please feel free to go to wombcenteredhealing.com and sign up for the mailing list and also keep an eye out for announcements about the other podcasts in this ancestral healing series all right thank you so much are there any last words of blessing or wisdom that you'd like to offer andrew i just want to just encourage everybody you know things are getting better um i really believe that so i know there's many of us suffering with depression anxiety and all these feelings out there uh yet change your story, change your world, you know, believe that the good thing is coming. And if you need some help, reach out, you know, I'm, I'm here for people, even if it's on Facebook, send me a message, uh, you need some prayers, I'll drop you a one minute prayer. Uh, you know, just reach out. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. That's all for now. Uh, until next time, take good care.